Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Why don't you take your seats, church? When God does something in someone's life, um, I think I've learned this over the years. My responses to that are actually hugely important. The Bible has this little phrase. It says, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. And um, what that phrase actually means when we unpack it slightly is that when we see someone's life being blessed in some way, and trust me, that's not just a story Becca can tell. I know that Jason and Steph, they're in a place of blessing. I mean, so many things have happened over the last few weeks to both these young people. It's quite profound. Um, but as a, as a father in the faith, it delights me to see what God is doing in their lives. Amen. I'm excited. My prayer for them is that they go on to experience things with God I only dreamed would be possible. And um, we permission them to go to the outer extremities of all that God has for them in their lives while they're here on the earth. But if you're sitting here and you're probably thinking, what about me? It's probably the wrong question. The, the better question is, when am I going to be blessed, God? Because when God begins to bless, it's just, when we see these moments, they're just the beginnings of something. They're just the start of a revolution. And God loves to revolutionize our lives. And do you know how he does it? By blessing us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance isn't a mournful thing. So often we mistake that. It's simply an understanding thing that we recognize that God is way more better or greater than we first imagined. And so when you hear of someone being blessed, who needs a house this morning? Who needs someone? I mean, I'm sure there's got to be someone here that needs a house. Yeah. Well, I just pray a blessing on your blessings. As you are searching and seeking for God to give you what you want, you've just heard a testimony that will give you some faith, and now you align your heart with hope, because the God that moved for Becca and for Jason is about to move for you. Amen. Who is waiting for God to bless them with a child this morning? You don't need to put your hand up. I don't need to know that, but I know there's somebody here. Do you know that Jane and I waited five years to have Emily? Five years. And uh, I would come to church. We seemed to be in a church where people had babies like shelling peas. <laughs> every other week, somebody was having a baby. And every single Sunday for that whole period of time while we were you know, in church, people were, we were dedicating baby after baby after baby after baby. And um, sadly, we lost a number of attempts at that. And then Emily came along. And I recognized in those moments that God was watching the posture of my heart. <laughs> As other people were celebrating with their children, it would have been so easy for us to be angry or disappointed or sadly, sometimes people fall into bitterness. But actually, we were blessed. We were so blessed because God was blessing other people. If you need a baby here this morning, there's a man who can he just, you know, he pops them out like... <laughs> I'm not asking you to connect with him. That wasn't the thought. I don't want to go there. Okay. Just to say... <laughs> okay. Just come and sit on his chair whenever he leaves, that's all I'm saying. Um, but you know, you may be waiting for God to bless you, and, and, I, and I believe that the Lord will bless you. I had a prophetic word over a young lady, 
uh, many, many years ago, her and her husband uh, couldn't have children. Her name is Eileen, and, and her husband, Mike, he's a pastor, and it's one of the Christies, one of the, the boxing family, and I, I didn't even know that they couldn't have children. We were in a, a, a kind of toilet area in some meeting somewhere, rehearsing puppets for a children's thing. And just as we were rehearsing puppets, I said to her, before the year is out, God will bless you with a baby boy, and you will call him Jordan, for he will flow and feed and bless the nations. And she looked at me puzzled. She said, how did you know that we couldn't have children? I said, I didn't know. But there is a God who has heard the cry of your heart. Within a year, within a year, she held in her arms her baby boy, a beautiful baby boy, and his name is still Jordan as far as I know. I don't think it's changed. He's 23 years of age, 23 years of age. You know, when God begins to move our hearts, they just, I think we take so long to catch up with how great he is. And so if you're waiting for that blessing to come to you this morning, I bless you to be fruitful in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, may God bless you abundantly in those ways. Um, it's got nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but I, I wanted to say as a community, we should stand alongside each other in these moments, in the moments of blessing and also in the moments of grief. And I know that Brenda has lost her mom recently. And um, while we're rejoicing with Rebecca, we're actually mourning with Brenda too. And there are others, I think, amongst us this morning. In fact, today is the anniversary of my mother's death. 20 years ago, she very suddenly went uh, from this world. I was up in Glasgow at the time, and it devastated me ridiculously. Uh, for many, many years, I couldn't come to terms with that. But I trust that she's where the Lord wants her to be right now. But we're going to pray for you, Brenda. Is that okay? If you're near to her, why don't you just go and put your arm around her at this moment? Father, I thank you that you're the God of the high place, but you're also the God of the low place. And our lives are a testimony that some days it's all going well and we couldn't imagine how we got where we got to because your favor sometimes outruns us, but there are definitely seasons when we feel like we're on our own and we're working it out and it's so difficult and so painful to come to terms with some things, but the same God who blesses is also the God who breaks in on our pain and breaks in on our hearts whenever we need you the most. Your word says, Lord God, that you would never break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering flax. And we pray for Brenda this morning, Lord, that you would comfort her with the comfort that you alone can give her. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Something's changing. Hope deferred makes the heart grow faint, but a longing fulfilled. When you start to see what God is doing, the atmosphere begins to move away from impossibility to possibility. And um, it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to keep on keeping on with us until we are fully immersed in the benevolence and the beauty and the greatness of God. Amen? Something's shifting, something's changing. And, and when God begins to move like that, there are only three possible ways we can respond. I think they're all important. One is curiosity. God, what are you doing? 
Here's a great question for this season. I just want to say it over someone here this morning. Who do you want to be for me in this season of my life, Father? You know, our God has so much to his personality and character that we have yet to fully discover his greatness. So if you're in a season and you're not sure how to navigate that with God, don't ask him to fix something. Ask him to find you in the middle of your difficulty, problem, your season, your experience, and he will come and reveal to you a part of his nature and his character. That's perfect for this season of your life. And curiosity should always be at the heart of anybody who's spiritually awakened and walking with God. The second thing is flexibility. You know, I think sometimes we want God to move, but we like God to move the way we would move. And the problem that is that we're restricting the blessing of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. God never moves the way I want Him to move. I've discovered over 37 years of walking with Him that He is the Lord and I am the disciple. So the adjustments are never on his behalf, they're always on my behalf. I have to keep readjusting my life and my understanding of him to accommodate what he wants to do. And flexibility is God. Don't be rigid. Religion is rigid, but relationship is fluid. It's flexible, it moves, it has a movement to it. And the third thing is humility. I don't know how many times God has worked in my heart what he could never have done through my head. Sometimes I can't understand what God does. Is there anybody like me? Talk to me, please. Yeah. Is there any? I just can't get my head around. I mean, here we are. The place is half empty and we're contemplating Sainsbury's. I can't get my head around that. But my heart is telling me a different story. It's telling me that whether it is or it isn't Sainsbury's, there's a new expansive place for us to be. Amen? Let's, should we join hands and contact those who are alive? Would that be okay? <laughs> let's do that. Let's, let's wake ourselves up. At the most unusual time, God will move you out of something and into something more when you feel ill-prepared and your logic tells you this is not logical. How many of us have come to understand that following Jesus is not about logic? Let me give you an example which will help you. He saved you. It's completely illogical. If I were God, I wouldn't hang out longer than 10 minutes with you, but he has chosen to put himself inside of you. Why? I mean, let's keep it real. Are you the most intellectual person on the planet and he will talk great and glorious things with you? I fear not. In comparison to the brilliance of God, we are all sorely lacking. Are you so profoundly holy that he's drawn to you and can't, is almost compelled to be with you? I fear not. Because even on your best day, your righteousness is like filthy rags before the glory of God. So the fact that you are saved, the fact that you walk with Jesus makes no sense at all. It's illogical. But in your heart, you know that you know that you know that Jesus is with you. You see, sometimes God has to offend our brain, our mind, to reveal 
what's in our hearts. And the only thing you can possibly do to prevent that or circumvent some of those things creating problems for you is to walk humbly with God. Our God, whether I feel like it today or understand it, is able to do immeasurably more. See, I want you guys to do more than recite it. I want you to live it. My God is able to do immeasurably more than anything I could ask or imagine. And I can ask, and I definitely can imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. So, humility, flexibility, and curiosity. When the Spirit begins to move, we make no presumptions. We walk with those three aspects of our human condition, always leaning into God and asking for more. And I want to say this. I felt this last week, and I'm going to say this over you. There is more available than we currently have. You know, these breakthrough moments, these times when we see God do something for Becker or Jason. You know, a couple of months ago, Jason and I sat down and we chatted about the orientations of his family and his heart. At that point, Jason, we could never have imagined. There was no vacancy anywhere in the area that you were drawn back to. And here we are, and they are moving to not just a city, but the best city in the Southwest. You know, they're moving into a community of people who really have a heart for God, to see others come to faith. What a blessing, what a blessing. It's sad for us because we don't want them to go, but it's a blessing to me as a father to see as God ordains the steps of the righteous. All of our days are written in his book. I'll keep going until someone wakes up. I'm... Just so you know, you know I used to work the clubs in the Northeast. And people stroked their whippet and read their paper as I sang. I just, <laughs> I just want you to know you're not going to put me off if you're, if you're miserable. I just, you just need to know that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and I have been chucked out in nicer places than this. I just want to leave that with you to think about. God is moving. Curiosity, humility, and flexibility are our only capacities to accommodate what he wants to do. And... Um, I just say over the house, Lord, bring the more that you desire to bring. I, I say over this house, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Just let it rain. Let your spirit rule and reign. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, if you have a, a Bible with you this morning for our last 25 minutes, we're going to aim to be done by half past 10. Um, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2, please. We've been on this journey of trying to understand a little bit about how our relationships work. Firstly, with God. Secondly, with ourselves, which I found a, a fascinating little uh, detour. And I think we arrived at this place the last time we talked that one of the characteristics of those people who belong to God, those people who are in the family of God, is this culture that is the opposite to the culture of our world. It's the culture of honor, where we honor God and we honor each other. And the word honor is not some kind of, you know, chest-beating poverty mentality. The word honor is seeing the fingerprints of God on another human life and celebrating and calling forth the greatness of God in that person. And um, 
I have found myself, I must be honest with you, in places where I found it very difficult to honor someone. Have you? I've been in situations where those in places who were in authority over me I, were, were abusive, and it was difficult to honor that situation. But you know, I believe that the Lord has trained me and is still training me to do that. And honor is the currency of the Holy Spirit amongst the family of God. We honor one another. We honor each other, not because of our talents. That's earthly. We honor each other because of our identity. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. Amen? And to honor is simply this, is to stoop lower than and to raise another up. Now, in a world, <laughs> in a world where everybody else wants to be raised up, the posture of a Christian must be the opposite. We, we are the last before we become the first. We are the tail in some senses before God makes us the head. The, the way in the kingdom to up is always down. It says of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself even unto death, death on a cross. Jesus knew that the kingdom works in the opposite way to the world, where everyone's striving to be on top. In the kingdom of heaven, the least becomes the greatest in the eyes of God. And so whenever I pray for people, I always like to think that what I'm saying over their life is bringing life to their souls. I'm honoring what God is doing in that person's life, and I'm on a big conversation for us as a community to have because I think when we start to understand that the culture of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is a culture of honor, we will start to do some things, we'll change the way we think, we'll change the way we act, consequently, gossip will no longer have any place in our lives. And please don't pretend that you don't indulge in it. Criticism will have no place in our life. Sometimes, who needs the devil when the church has so much opinion on other people's lives and how they live it? You don't need the devil. The devil somehow has besieged our hearts, and we think it's okay to be critical about someone else. Listen to what Jesus says about that. It says, by the same measure you judge others, you too shall also be judged. Be watchful of what comes out of your mouth, or more importantly, what comes out of your mouth is simply the overflow of your heart. And sometimes we judge people without really knowing anything about their situation. We think we know, but we don't really know. So we need to be very, very careful. As the Holy Spirit begins to move, as we lift up the name of Jesus, we need to lift one another up in prayer. We need to honor one another in the way we speak to one another. We need to guard our mouths because out of it comes the power of life and death. The tongue can either build or destroy. I don't know what you've been using yours for this week, but I have tried to speak life over things even if there's no life. And if you're looking at something and it looks dead, trust me, even the valley of dry bones comes alive when the breath of God begins to speak. You know, when you're looking at your marriage, you might think, God, I'm out of here. Just speak life over it. If you're looking at your husband and you think, God, why am I in here? Speak life over it. Whatever it is you think is dead, when God is concerned, when the Ruach of God begins to move, life has to form. It has to form. And so it's so important that we use our tongues as an expression of the life we have been called to. Not the life that we maybe currently are living in, but the life we have been called to because that life is a life of abundance, a pressed down, shaken up, and overflowing reality. I can ruin my life with my tongue because what comes out of my mouth always lands right on my own lap. 
So be careful what we do and how we do it and be conscious of that. And I want to move to something of what I think is the heart of God for the church, the kind of community and environment that reflects His truest nature and character. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, it's been one of my favorites since I think the day I got saved. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And look at verse 43 as a result of that. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all, as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being served, saved, sorry, <laughs> served, saved. Let me talk you through what church should or could look like. Maybe you could dream with me for a moment. The first thing we find ourselves looking at in this particular part of the scripture is that the early church very clearly were devoted to God. Can I say as a starting point, I don't take that for granted in any church I've ever led. It's not a given that the people who are sitting in the pews or in the chairs here are devoted to God. I don't presume that. I don't build upon that. In fact, if I'm honest, there are only three types of Christian in every room I find myself in. There, were, there are those who are on fire. There are those who believe in Christ but don't allow Him to decide how they live their lives. And there are those who don't really know the reality of God, but come along to church either because it's familiar or because they fancy somebody who's sitting on the back row. And in every church I've ever pastored, those three types of people exist. I call them first, second, third chair people. Let me give you an example of first chair people. In chair number one, we have Jennifer. Jennifer is a single mom with two children. Her husband left her for another woman. She was heartbroken. She found Jesus. And as a result of finding Jesus, her whole life has been transformed. Jennifer wakes up every morning before the girls get up, and she spends at least an hour in prayer reading the Bible and singing worship songs to Jesus. She does that because she knows that if she doesn't set her day up like that, all manner of other things will get in the way. Jennifer prays with her girls in the car on the way to school. She prays that God would give her girls the most brilliant day, that they would excel in their education, that they'd be very popular with their friends. Jennifer is at church at every conceivable moment she can get there. And sometimes it's quite a challenge with two young girls who have all kinds of friends and all kinds of parties to go through. She's been approached by numbers of men in the church. She's a good-looking woman, and many men want to date her, but she decided when she gave her heart to Jesus that she wasn't going to date a man. She was going to marry a man. And so she doesn't go out on dates. On Sundays, 
when her girls could be at this class or that class, Jennifer makes sure that she detaches them from all of the distractions and she brings her girls to the church so they can hear the word of God. Why? Because the word of God has transformed her life and she has no better place in her imagination where they could ever really find love and truth and hope and joy. Jennifer is in chair number one, clearly devoted. In chair number two, we have Simon. Now, Simon was raised in the church. He knows the Bible inside out. He reads it every day. Well, maybe not as much as Jennifer because he now has it as an app on his phone. So where in the past in his childhood, he probably would take half an hour to read it. It takes all but a minute and a half to read the app. And he satisfies himself with the knowledge that he's still attached to the Word of God. He believes categorically that Jesus is the Lord and the only means to be saved. Okay, and he doesn't wake up early to pray for an hour. He's walked with God for a long time. He feels that grace and mercy are sufficient for him. And so he sets off to his busy day. He's working in the kind of banking industry. And he is such a preoccupied man with all of the things that he has to do. He gets to church when he can. But if you were to ask him, is he a Christian? He would say yes. But if you were to ask him, did Jesus decide where you live, Simon? He would say, no, I did. If you were to ask him, what did he do when he was raising his boys, when they wanted to do something other than come along to church? He said, I went with them because I was raised strictly and people told me I had to be here and it put me off guard. Simon believes he's wholehearted, but his life isn't the same as Jennifer's. In fact, he thinks Jennifer's a little bit weird. She's a little bit strange. Isn't that always the case when someone's on fire? Don't we always think they're just a little bit out there? <laughs> and then, of course, we have George. George doesn't believe in Jesus. He has no sense of connection to the Scriptures at all. He thinks some of the stories are interesting. He particularly likes Song of Solomon for all the wrong reasons. And... <laughs> And George comes along to the church because he followed a girl off the bus one day and she ended up coming into the back and he's been sitting on the other side of the church for about four months now waiting for an introduction. He keeps trying to catch her eye, but she's so in love with Jesus. Oh gosh, I forgot to tell you her name is Jennifer. And Jennifer has no desire whatsoever to speak to George because she knows what George is after and she knows people like George because before coming to know Christ she had many liaisons with people before she got married who had similar orientations now if you were to talk to George he would say I'm not really a believer in Jesus Christ but he'd say I like the atmosphere I like the songs and something about this place seems a little bit different than just about every other place I find myself in now if I was to ask the question which of these three individuals is a Christian? Well, we could clearly say that George, out of his own mouth, has declared that he isn't. He doesn't profess to ask God about anything in his life. Well, he recently prayed that Jennifer's eyes would be opened <laughs> and he would, be, he would be her divine distraction for a moment. That little sentence, right at the beginning of this passage is normal Christianity. That's 
what Jesus died that you and I could have. And just let's keep it clear. God's love for all of these three individuals is not shifted or changed by how full on or not they happen to be with God. But the benefits of walking with Jesus in Jennifer's life far outweigh some of the other types of living that take place. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die so that we would come to church. He did not die so that you'd feel a little bit better about yourself because you happen to believe certain things that are true in the Bible. When Jesus died, he gave himself. He devoted himself wholeheartedly for you. And his desire, and it's always his desire, is that you somehow will find yourself in a place where you devote yourself wholeheartedly to him. Truth, truth, truth. Without it, we just play games. Now, I'm going to ask you to ponder for a second which chair you sit in. And I would imagine, if you're anything like me, you've been in all of them. <laughs> and before the end of this week, you might be in one you didn't imagine you could be in. And the role of leadership in the church is not to pacify you should you be sitting where George is sitting. That's not the role of spiritual leadership. It's not even to accommodate you if you're sitting where Simon is sitting. It's to make sure that all of you are sitting where Jennifer is sitting. That's the role of spiritual leadership, to move people from chair number three all the way through to chair number two, and from chair number two all the way through to chair number one. And if you're ever in a church where that's not the goal of the pastor or the leaders, get out. Because that is what we're trying to do. I make no apology for that. The greatest gift that we could ever give you or the greatest service we could ever offer you is not to allow you to stagnate in chair one or chair two, but to stir you and encourage you and charge you and sometimes challenge you to move from one chair to the other until we are all fully, fully engaged with the life that Jesus Christ has promised us. So don't be surprised if sometimes the meetings are challenging. Don't be surprised sometimes if you find what I say provocative. And don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit begins to bring conviction about certain things that we're doing that are keeping us away from the fullness of God. But you see, we want what the early church had, but we don't live like the early church lived. I always say of, of Christians, they want the life Jesus offers, but they don't want to live the life that Jesus lived. We are all the trappings and the blessings and the fullness and the goodness. Now, before you take out your little effigies and put pins in with my face on, I've been around this a long time, and I have been given by God the most ridiculous gift of discernment. 
I wish I hadn't got it. I wished it wasn't part of my life. And I used to be foolish enough to challenge people. Now I think there's a better way than that. I think it's to live it yourself and hope that others catch it. The kingdom of heaven, in many ways, relationship with Jesus cannot be taught. It can only be caught. It's a bit like evangelism. How many evangelism courses has the church been on and we still don't talk to people about Jesus? It's ridiculous, isn't it? You think about it, all that time and nothing changed. About a few months ago, I gave you all a card and asked you to pray for your friends. How are we doing? Is it going well? There you go. So we can talk that and we can speak about those things, but the reality is you can only catch the kingdom of God. It's like an infection. It's just like a heavenly infection. And something about these people and their relationship with Jesus meant that they were fully immersed in the reality of who he was. They were wholehearted disciples. Not Sunday morning Christians, but wholehearted disciples. Now, everything else in this particular passage is dependent on that. Should we go back over it again? We've got five minutes to read it. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right in that first sentence, verse 42, we have what I think should always be present in a church where people are devoted to God. Love for Him. Amen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Love for the fellowship and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Do you know over the pandemic, we found that what we really had was not this. And, and all kinds of people have made choices to engage with God on their own terms, from their front room with a remote control or their computer where they can switch it off. I can't take that and place it in here without having problems. Because how can I say that I am devoted to God and devoted to you if I'm not here? Speak to me. If you understood what I was saying to you right now, you'd have your hand raised to God, speaking in tongues, saying, say it again, Pastor Simon. Because we are living in a world of convenience. And there ain't nothing convenient about following Jesus. Whoever told you that lie, whoever presented that to you, was not really speaking truth and therefore couldn't really love you because they may have left you with the impression that you get to do all of this on your terms. And the reality is we only do this on Christ's terms. This is going well, Jesus. Thank you for asking me to say it. How can I say I'm devoted to Jane if I'm never with her? How can I say I care about Emily if I never spend time with her? Let's not pretend anymore. I, I feel that 
in the more invitation, some things have to be deconstructed. We can't carry that if we want to experience the greater blessing of God. We cannot do this on our terms. I'll say it to you again, my time is gone. We cannot do this on our terms. And I cannot keep saying I'm devoted to God, okay, and all I do is read my Bible app. That's not devotion. I look at TikTok more than I look at the Bible on my phone. That's not devotion. Devotion is living consistently in fellowship and communion with the God who delights in me. That's devotion. Jennifer, all of my thinking, all of my decisions come from that wholehearted expression of worship to God. In everything I am, in everything I do, I want to express my love to Him. And verse 43 says, when we come to that place where we are devoted to God, devoted to each other, and prayer. Prayer is communion and fellowship with God. And the breaking of bread is the centrality of Christ. And in the, in the middle of all the community of believers that love Jesus, we have to have a centrality of the cross. The cross is the only thing that marks our lives and makes us different from any other organization in the world. So we make much of Jesus. We make much of what he's done, and we ask for the precious blood of Jesus never to be discarded carelessly by my indifference, but handled reverently in prayer and intercession. We come together to pray. We come together to worship Christ. We come together to honor what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, and I can't do that from my front room. And, open your hands for me, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe, not awe. There is no group of people on this planet that have been given the privileges that we have been given as followers and disciples of Jesus. No other group of people are given the promise of God that where two or more gather in the midst he shall be. No other body of people have been offered or afforded the very high calling to host the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it all comes down to how you choose to live. It all comes down to that. Now, some of you are saying, I can hear your brain sticking away. What about grace? What about mercy? Well, you know what? You wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for God's grace. And you wouldn't still be walking with Jesus if it wasn't for his mercy. You have been given immeasurable grace and a magnitude of mercy. And that still has not made you wholehearted. You see, God wants to bless, but the blessing is always subject to my investments too. It's a partnership. It's a relationship. I can't just meander through life as some kind of accidental spiritual tourist and expect that God's blessing would fall on me even though I am disinterested in a vast majority of things concerning Him. No. If I want all of Him, I need to give all of me. 
If I want all he has to give, I need to give all I have to give. It's like marriage. Forsaking all others and cleaving only unto thee with my body, I honor you. All that I have, I give to you. All that I am, I offer you. It's everything. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God and an act of worship before him. This is not this journey we're about to go on. I'm just warning you in Jesus' name, is not for the faint-hearted. Our hearts need to become robust in faith and love and devotion to God if we're going to see our city come alive into fullness. And all who believed were together and had everything in common. That's the fruit. <laughs> That's the fruit of what happened before that. And they were selling. We haven't got to this yet. They were selling their possessions and belongings. We'll be calling on you if Sainsbury's comes through. They'll be selling their possessions and belongings. We would like many car boot sales to ensue, should that be the case. And you know that clean out you've been desperate to do? The hour has come. The hour has come. And many were added to their numbers on a daily basis. Stand with me, please. Lord, how blind am I sometimes to the power of fellowship, to the mutuality of love and devotion. Whatever's faded in my life, Lord, regarding this, I pray you would restore it in the precious name of Jesus. I just desire for my family here, God, as I desire for myself that we would live our lives devoted to you, unreservedly, unapologetically, and courageously devoted to you. I pray, God, that we'd also be devoted to each other. If one hurts, we hurt. We're the body, Father God. The hand cannot do what the eye can do. Lord, we need each other. And Father, every time we join together from this moment on, I pray that we'll come with a spiritual psalm or song, a word of edification, and a testimony to encourage our brothers and sisters to keep going, to keep loving, to keep believing, to keep trusting. And Father, if one is missing, may 10 people go after them, not just one, Father. It's not down to the shepherd. We excuse our responsibilities so often, Lord, thinking it's somebody else's job to do that. It's all of our jobs. If my hand fell off in a car park, I'd go looking for it. I wouldn't just think, oh dear, I hope the caretaker picks it up when he's doing his rounds in the morning. I would go looking for it. Father, give us eyes to see how church can truly be. And give us hearts, Lord God, that are willing to be devoted to one another. To prayer, Lord God. I just really believe that prayer is the place and the space in which you invade our hearts and lives. Prayer isn't about me getting you to do something. Prayer is about me being so close to you and so knowledgeable about you, I would do anything for you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that the centrality of Christ and his cross 
I put a stake in the spirit realm in the middle of this room, and I plead that the blood of Jesus Christ would always be precious to us. And any familiarity with that truth, Lord God, I pray you would open our eyes and make all things new. Lord, I want to be Jennifer. And Lord, I pray that you would do whatever you need to do to get me into that place of full-hearted devotion. I bless your people, Father, as they go upon their journey. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great week.